0: Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler.
1: Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee 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 tennessee
0: tennessee lord i really been real welcome back to a tennessee holler facebook and twitter live stream we're tnholler.com at the tn on twitter and facebook we're also all over the state now we added murray county coffee county we got hollers everywhere so follow them we appreciate all the support you've given us you're the reason that we're able to do that we also have podcasts We're doing all kinds of stuff. So thank you for all the support. I'm here with Representative Mike Stewart. Mike, how are you today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: We're a little better today, right? I mean, some good news that came in last night. Uh I, I we were just talking about, you know, the status. In my opinion, it's done. I've seen it called by people, you know, that Ossoff and Warnock both won, which takes the gavel out of Mitch McConnell's hands. What's your feeling,
1: your just first blush reaction upon that good news? I think it's great, obviously. And, uh, you know, McConnell uh, was one of the key architects of the infrastructure of obstructionism uh, that was put into place to block President Obama and uh, was – very difficult for President Obama during a time of economic crisis to kind of maneuver when he literally had um, McConnell leading the Republicans to block him at every turn, even during a time of, you know, near depression. uh, If you recall, when he was trying to rebuild the economy, uh, the Republicans not only contributed nothing meaningful, but actually spent their time criticizing everything he was doing. Uh, when he had come in, you know, the house was already on fire, and he was handed the task of trying to put the fire out. and they just stood by and and uh, did everything they could to stop him and make him unsuccessful. Now, uh, in many instances, he was able to get around them, but it was very difficult, and we all remember those difficult times. So here we have at least uh, the majority, you know, obviously President Obama had that in the first two years, and then we lost it. Uh, That's critical because it will not prevent, of course, Republican obstructionism, but hopefully it'll limit it. It'll give the Democrats and particularly President Biden, Vice President Harris, an opportunity to push their agenda and uh, and certainly is a lot better than having a Senate majority of Republicans. Uh, So we should all be happy today. Another thing that's great, obviously, is the turning of Georgia into a blue state is a almost transcendent event in American politics, Texas to follow. You know, the Republicans are doing, the modern Republican Party, which as I say, has shifted over the past 25 years from a legitimate voice for conservative Americans, which I have disagreed with, but which was a legitimate voice, an honest voice for the aspirations and beliefs of conservative Americans to really more of a, of a sort of political organization that we see in other countries, but not the United States of America, which is an elite party that will do anything, uh, tell any lie, uh, take any action, however completely inappropriate, just to ensure that the, the most powerful and wealthy uh, supporters of theirs can cling to their power. It's the sort of thing you see in countries like Paraguay that you see in failed states. It's not been the sort of thing historically that you've seen in the United States of America. And uh, McConnell's been at the center of that. And I'm delighted to see him uh, taken off his, out of his chair. Right. And um, it's not, as we know from President Obama's experience in the first two years of his a presidency. It's not, you know, the end all be all. It's not, it doesn't solve all of our problems. No doubt. Within a month, shoot, within a week, the Republicans will be meeting at some Tony country club paid for by the Koch brothers to start scheming about how they can damage and undermine president Biden and with him, the United States of America again. Right. Uh, Well, you, you, you you I think what what we're talking about today really shows the unfortunate path that a majority of Republicans are currently taking, which is very different from the Republican Party, honestly, of Ronald Reagan, uh, who I didn't agree with on many issues, but who was a, a genuinely, was a legitimate voice for conservative Americans. That's not what the Republican Party is today.
0: Right. I think that's absolutely right. And I think you drew a line back to where it belongs, which is When Obama was elected, and they decided that their mission was going to be to make him a one term president, they failed at that. But to do that, they became obstructionists. They said no to everything. They spent their time trying to, in the latter part, undermine Obamacare, which they have done significantly. And now, you know, Democrats are going to be in control of the entire federal government and they need to deliver frankly, and I know that there's still going to be things that they can't do, but I think it is incumbent upon everybody to keep pushing to make sure that Democrats deliver, and this is a moment where they can show, okay, this is what you get when you have people who really do value government, value the efforts of what the federal government can do in power, starting with more stimulus, starting with you know the laundry list of things, making D.C. a state, you know, uh, immigration reform. And there's all kinds of things that can and should be done now that I can't just list right now, but Democrats need to deliver. Biden needs to deliver and right. And the people of Georgia just really delivered. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see it. It's inspiring, you know, being so close to Georgia here in Tennessee to think that maybe one day we can have that happen here. But I think your point is a good one, which is these Republicans have shown that they are not governing, as rational thinkers, they are not conservative. They are anything but, and that brings us to what we're talking about today, which is the actions that are being taken by twelve senators so far, two of which are our senators here in Tennessee, Haggerty and Marsha Blackburn, who is you know one of my favorite people. Um, we're calling them the Jim Crow caucus. This was Roland Martin's graphic, but I think it's a great one. They're trying to delete black votes in Atlanta, Philly, Detroit, and Milwaukee because Trump lost. You know, when you see what they're doing, do you think there is any validity constitutionally to what they are trying to do, which appears to be a coup and appears to be about the most anti-democracy, un-American, radical extremist action senators have taken in my lifetime?
1: Yeah, and I, uh, that, that's right, and I'm glad you're using that language, and and you know, it, it, at a time when I think 24-7 news and the internet, we know, have tended to push all debates to the fringes, you know, in, in other words, our, our political debate in the United States has been rendered somewhat ineffective by a number of trends. Uh, I think particularly the rise of enormous amounts of conservative money pushing kind of crazy conspiracy theories. But the point is, so when we're talking about what should be a technical public health issue, uh, how to control covid, we end up with this uh, ridiculous political debate about whether people should wear masks, something that in most countries isn't even a political issue. It's like that's what that's what every health expert says. So that's what we should do, whether or not you're a Republican, a Democrat, a libertarian. And so what I'm getting at is I have tried myself to reduce or to keep political rhetoric factual and to keep it somewhat subdued because I think we need to get back in our country. And and I don't think it's something that Democrats have done like Republicans, but nevertheless, we need to do everything we can to get our political rhetoric uh, focused on facts and uh, to get people talking to each other again uh, obviously we saw with McConnell and you'll I'll get back to your question we saw with McConnell and his efforts to block Obama he was unwilling to talk unwilling to join and at some point you know you can't make people do what they don't want to do but back to your point um, I have spoken out against Senators Blackburn and Haggerty and what I've tried to emphasize is this is a totally different, uh, event than normal political events. Like you just listed a number of priorities for Democrats. I'm sure they disagree with those priorities. That's a political debate about people with differing values and differing philosophies trying to push their philosophies. And that is as politics should be. Uh, Obviously, I would rather you be the senator from Tennessee than Senator Blackburn, because I have a greater philosophical alignment with you, but right now she's got the votes and she has a right to push her political philosophy. What she doesn't have the right to do and what is extraordinary is that now she is proposing to undo a presidential election participated in by over a hundred million Americans. I agree with uh, former Vice President uh, Cheney's daughter, Liz Cheney, third ranking Republican in the House, that this is totally unconstitutional. It's an outrageous abuse of power. And again, at a time when, you know, honestly, on Twitter and all over the place, there's a lot of very hot language in our politics. We need to recognize this is not just another kind of outrage. It's not some stupid thing that some senator or state senator did somewhere. This is a totally new day in the United States of America when you have a large number of senators actually seriously going on television, going on, the, on various Internet um, resources and making the extraordinary claim that our election was tainted when they know that there is no evidence for that, undermining our system of elections. This is the kind of thing that Chavez in Venezuela participated in. All right. I mean, and we could point to right wing and left wing dictators and tyrants uh, who have taken these sort of acts and have questioned the validity of elections that are valid and have tried in every way to maintain their own personal power in the face of the will of the people. That's what these senators are doing. It is the most outrageous political act by a congressman or a senator that I've ever witnessed in my entire life. It is totally un-American, and it really calls into question whether Senators Blackburn and Haggerty have the personal integrity and really the basic understanding of our constitutional system to serve. Uh, no great uh, political ally of mine, former Speaker Paul Ryan, who, as you know, I have roundly criticized because I completely reject his crazy libertarian vision for the country. But Paul Ryan courageously has stood up and said, this is a total outrage what these senators are doing. It's not conservative. It's completely unconstitutional. People should really focus on this because not only Democrats, but Republicans should take steps to sweep these people out of office at the first opportunity. To me, both of these senators have demonstrated they're really not suited to the job that the people have given them. I don't blame the people. I'm sure most Americans that voted for Senators Blackburn and Haggerty never thought that they would be the types of people who would just toss the Constitution in the trash can when it was politically convenient and when they wanted to pander to certain members of their base. Uh, I just find it to be the most extraordinary event that I've ever witnessed, and they should be ashamed of themselves in particular. And then I, I'm sorry, I'm not letting you talk because I'm no, so okay. about it. But particularly Haggerty, who's a lawyer who graduated from Vanderbilt Law School. What an embarrassment for that law school, that he's a graduate, that somehow he managed to thread his way through his coursework at Vanderbilt Law School and didn't gain even a basic understanding of how our system of government is supposed to work. It's just ridiculous. And what's sad is, you know, in their public announcement, they basically wink to their more thoughtful supporters and say, look, we know this is all baloney. What they say is they they don't cite a single piece of evidence of fraud because there is none. And what they say is, Uh, Well, we've received a lot of calls from angry people and we're trying to express their views, which is a way of saying to their more sophisticated supporters, look, we know we're just pandering and this is all baloney. The problem is you do that long enough. That's what people did in Chile before Pinochet took over. That's what people did in Argentina before a junta of generals took over and ran the country into the ground. I'm not saying that's going to happen in the United States of America, but this is extra constitutional, extraordinary behavior by these people who were elected to be American leaders. It's a complete outrage. Anyway, that's my view.
0: Oh, well, I appreciate you speaking so strongly about it. I completely agree with you. You know, there were election security bills earlier this year or last year, I can't remember now, that Marsha Blackburn helped block by saying that she didn't want the federal government interfering in state-run elections. And now here she is... A DC bureaucrat that she rails against so often, trying to throw out the results in states that are not Tennessee. Imagine if the roles were reversed and there were Democrats trying to throw out the election in Tennessee. It is so hypocritical. And yes, Haggerty has signed on and they're obviously being sycophants. And, you know, they've made the political calculation that this is going, not going to hurt them in the end. And who knows, they may be right about that. But I just wanted to play for you. This is Marsha Blackburn saying that she doesn't want federalized elections as she tries to federalize an election.
1: That is the model that we are using. We are certainly within our constitutional rights and following the Constitution and the power that is given to Congress. We don't want federalized elections. We want to make certain we respect the Electoral College. That's great for you to pull out that clip because it just underscores what total hypocrisy she's engaged in. Yeah.
0: It's just complete and total hypocrisy. And, you know, that's kind of Marsha's MO. That's how she, that's how she acts. She's always, you know, calling things what they aren't. She names bills when they're the opposite of what they are. She's not fighting for the people. And your letter, this is your letter. I'm going to pull it up right here. It said, many citizens in my district would be very interested to know what evidence you're relying on. Uh, Do you expect an answer to your
1: letter? You know, sadly I don't, and here I sent it to both senators, faxed it to their offices, it's been in the press, they know it's there. Um, hilariously, Haggerty was on a uh, conservative talk show yesterday, I'm told, and someone read to me his long explanation uh, uh, for what he was doing, and of course it makes no sense because there's no legitimate basis for it. And Even in that long explanation in a friendly environment, he was not able to, or willing to identify a single actual act of fraud that would have any impact on this election. Um, You know, the point is, there are systems in every state to ferret out election fraud. These systems were made available to the Republicans as well as the Democrats. President Trump exhorted his lawyers to to overturn every stone, use every opportunity. His problem is that the courts, thankfully, in the United States of America are apparently still reality based. So you had a bunch of judges in, in what was a very important event in our history, a bunch of judges, both Republican appointees, Democratic appointees, personally Democrats, personally Republicans, a bunch of judges since they are judges and are used to dealing with actual evidence, rejected all of these claims of fraud because there was no basis for them. Anyway. Right. right. Uh, and,
0: and, 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 you know, what I enjoy is that he still tried to thread the needle of saying it was rigged, but also trying to encourage them to vote in the runoff using the very same system. And in that same system, saying it won't be as rigged because there's only one election. So the focus will be on that election. But here we have the same result. They lost anyway. So you would think that a thinking person would stop and go, hey, if there was no fraud last night and we got the same result, then maybe what they're telling me is wrong. And maybe that's true for all these six other states also. And obviously, they we're just not in a place where these people are trying to reason. We're not dealing with logic. But what I would be curious to know is what do you think happens to the Republican party from here? If you were to project out even two years or 10, however far you want to go, what happens next? Is it that Republicans who are not Trump sycophants win their party back, realize that he has actually cost them the presidency, the House and the Senate in four years and do their part to take their party back? Or has he so won over this party that there is no home for them anymore and they are now people without a home? Like I almost feel like maybe if they do try to win their party back, if their donors do take a stand, there is a world where he goes and tries to create a Trump party out of this.
1: Okay, I have two thoughts about that. First of all, I believe that Trump, Trump is a uniquely outrageous individual and one who has unique, a uniquely low level of respect for the United States' governmental traditions. You know, Richard Nixon, in 1960, lost a close presidential election. Uh, He specifically told everybody, you know, we're not going to go out and challenge these election results. Now, by the way, it wasn't that close, and he won and lost in multiple states. But the point was, he told everybody, you know, our Constitution really demands that we accept the results. We just have to move on. Of course, he was elected eight years later. And that's because Nixon, uh, for all of his faults, and I, you know, obviously, I think he's one of our worst presidents, but for all of his faults, he was still a constitutional actor and understood that our tradition of peaceful transfer of power was very important. And of course he accepted the results of the election and then he ran again as was his right. And he was successful. He
0: may have cared about the country in his own messed up way. Trump does not. That's
1: exactly right. And, and, uh, and by contrast, Trump, President Trump, he, he's shown consistently, he has no respect for or even understanding of the traditions of our country and all these traditions that make our country so important. And clearly Senators Haggerty and Blackburn are trying to assume that mantle of uh, people who are either willfully ignorant, certainly in Haggerty's case, or perhaps just ignorant of our traditions and the importance of our Constitution and upholding our constitutional framework. Um, They're trying to kind of take on that crown. Here's what I would say. I actually believe generally that Trump was a terrible president and particularly disrespectful of our presidential system and our our governmental system. But Trump's policies were just uh, late 20th century, early 21st century Republican policies straight up the middle. I mean, what did Trump do? He appointed a bunch of judges that were uh, selected for their ideological purity. Uh, He... uh, jacked up the deficit and took all the money out of the Treasury and handed it out to the richest and most powerful Americans. He reduced regulations that are designed to protect Americans. He he uh, put into place uh, people who could uh, repress or uh, suppress organized labor. So what I'm getting at is, you know, you look at uh, Secretary Scalia, for example, um, what I'm saying is Trump's donors know darn well that he was absolutely willing to uh, to continue the the long term Republican agenda of turning America more into the sort of country that we see in Latin America, where you have uh, elites ruling and oligarchy, uh, with no banana. accountability with yeah. with all the wealth and no accountability. I mean, that's where the modern Republican Party is trying to take us. And what I'm getting at is, I'm afraid, I anticipate that there will not be a split in the Republican Party. Uh, They will regroup and start pushing that same agenda even more forcefully now. With less buffoonery. uh, That's right. That's exactly right. And perhaps with less outright and open disrespect for our traditions and the laws. Right. He he made
0: the uh, mistake of, of saying these things explicitly when they were we, they've doing. been saying them, they've been doing them implicitly for decades. As we saw with that tape, I'm his name is escaping me, but with the way they used to basically, you can't just say the N word. You have to say state's rights. And I forget yeah, who that I, I was. Everybody
1: knows what you're, everybody knows what you're talking about. So I'm not very hopeful that we'll have a split in the Republican party. I will say, um, and you have to give kudos to future governor Abrams. Uh, <laughs> for her work, um, you know, here's a person who who has led the transformation of a state into a blue state. And, um, you know, that really is a significant challenge, yeah. obviously, to the Republican Party. And I think it's very important that President Biden and Harris at this critical historical juncture, they have as, as hard a job as any job that's ever been handed to people. Um, it's critical that they think very carefully about what agenda they want to push. I would suggest, you know, you pointed out healthcare. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of opportunity for President Biden and Vice President Harris to really expand on the Affordable Care Act, the framework created by President Obama, and really start to create in our country a healthcare system that regular people can rely on, not if they happen to fall into a certain category, but like citizens of Canada, England, France, and every other industrialized country, just by being citizens, they get healthcare. That's why we need to be, that's where we need to be. You're dancing um, around,
0: not saying Medicare for all, but I'll go ahead and say, yeah. I think. No, I'm, I'm not, a no, good idea. no,
1: I I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me not dance. Okay. Medicare for all, I would completely support it. Okay. But at the same time, what I would say is um, it's not a debate you know, call it, call it Medicare for all and, and, and just expand Medicare. Okay. As Elizabeth Warren has championed, for example, Mm -hmm. that is one way to break the egg. But if it also means just going in with a series Mm -hmm. of smaller changes, but that have the same effect, which is creating true universal health care that every American can rely on regardless of their employer regardless, fine with me too, you know, whatever. I I,
0: I, I didn't drag you here to to get you into the Medicare for all debate. I'm I'm happy happy to hear that that you talked about it and and that you're willing to support that. And I, I, I completely agree. The agenda, I think the point you're making is the agenda that they, like right now is an opportunity to decide how to show the country what you get when you elect Democrats, what you're missing when you don't elect Democrats. And that agenda should involve more aid to the people. It should involve healthcare. It should involve a lot of things that fundamentally change people's lives so that they understand What government can do for them and that helps regular people not tax cuts for the rich which is literally the only
1: thing that trump passed in his entire four years well and remember tax cuts for the rich for the modern republican party since reagan have been the sine qua non of government that's it all they do That's that's it and of course remember too that the tax cuts they don't have the guts to actually fund their tax cuts The whole scheme of course is to run up massive deficits and then take that money, essentially borrow money from America's children and dole it out to the wealthiest Americans. And tell us we we can't afford anything else. So that later the government is exactly as some Republicans have hoped is, is, is the bankrupt entity that they want to predict. Let me say one thing about the agenda and and then uh, because it's important to me. Um, one group of people that has, that has left the Democratic Party in many cases uh, is working class uh, Americans, particularly Americans uh, who are Caucasian, you know. Um, but it's true for all, all working Americans. You know, we saw Obama's, I mean, we saw uh, Trump's sad rise of support among African American men this election, okay. Um, working Americans have been telling Democrats for a long time that they're dissatisfied with their offerings. And it is very important, although controversial, that the Biden administration deliver to labor. You know, in many cases, people don't like to talk about that, um, because organized labor is controversial. Businesses don't like it, um, or many don't. Many like, uh, UPS and Southwest Airlines operate some of the most effective uh, business organizations in the world and have great unions and do a great job of supporting their employees. But my point is, uh, that is an agenda item that has not been first and foremost uh, among the Democrats running the country for a number of years. And we have got to deliver uh, to people who work uh, to people who don't have college degrees. They remained the majority of Americans. And, you know, in 1950, every person who worked in the United States knew that you vote for Democrats because they make your life better in a tangible way, not just at election time, but every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of your life. And we cannot overlook that this time. We must as Democrats deliver, regardless of the fact that some in our coalition do not like that. OK, uh, you know. You can have disagreements within the coalition, but Democrats cannot keep trying to win presidential elections. Let's face it, this election was too close, way too close. One one wrong move. Uh and one letter from the director of the FBI and the whole election could have gone a different direction. We could add a second Trump term. So we can't keep winning elections by one percent. We can't keep picking our way through. That team before. comes out a week earlier. That, uh, exactly. We've got to reach out to people who are working and give them, as you say, to use your words, a tangible, uh, tangible evidence. Of the fact that electing democrats has a significant benefit to you and you know what we need to put that before the senate we need to put it before the house and if a cabal of republican senators filibuster it make them get down and debate make them get down and tell right. every working <laughs> americans that I mean, they're against them you know i think you made a point which
0: is that yeah. there may be some democrats who are not as pro-union as they probably should be and i always feel like you know, that's really all you need to know about who they're fighting for. If they're fighting against unions and they're fighting against workers, it's because they're fighting for the donors. And, you know, that's really where the battle lines are drawn. And that should cross the aisle. That should, shouldn't should be a Democrat or Republican issue unions fight for all people and labor fights for all people. And you know that is an issue I think that needs to be centered a lot more than it used to be. Another thing that I just want to point out, and I'll let you in, right. I know you're about to, is no, no. unions in the middle class go hand in hand. So the charts are very clear. They show that as unions have been attacked and labor participation has union participation has gone down over the last 40 years, directly correlated is the share of the wealth controlled by the middle class. So the the attack on unions has hollowed out the middle class and this trickle down nonsense, the opposite of it is a strong middle class where you put money in people's pockets, they can spend it and that's how you grow an economy. So those are just two fundamental differences in how Democrats and Republicans look at the way the economy should grow. And I think it's something that should be asked of every single representative, every senator is, do you stand with labor? Do you stand with unions? And I think, Mike, you're right to bring that up and make that a
1: central point here. Yeah. And I I just think people need to remember during a time when unions were at the zenith of their power, The United States of America perfected the jet aircraft for passenger travel. The United States of America invented the transistor. The United States of America invented the personal computer. The United States of America led the technological revolution in virtually every area of human existence. And the economy grew. That's right. So you can have, listen, I'm a person, okay? I am not a socialist. And I don't begrudge people who are but I absolutely feel kinship to that person who opens a restaurant, takes out a bank loan, hires people, joins in with our capitalist economy. Okay. Those people are extraordinary people and we need an economy that supports that dynamic effort to, uh, to creatively create business. But the point is the notion that organized labor and labor uh, hinders that process, that's just a bunch of nonsense that's been promoted over the last 30 years. When we had strong labor in this country, we had some of the most dynamic, inventive capitalism that the world has ever known. You can have both. And so so the point is to the entrepreneur, be an entrepreneur, go out and invent something big uh, as Americans have been doing since the advent of our nation. Um, You know, we live in an extraordinary country. Remember, we invented the airplane and we invented the personal computer. People in other countries must look at our country and think, how "How do they do
0: do it? it. And you you bring these things up. You know, I think people don't realize what hand the government has in these things. The government Absolutely. has a hand in research and development. Look at the government is now giving us a vaccine. You know, Governor Lee just announced a hundred million dollars for an early childhood education program. That's federal funds. So, you know, this notion that anything the federal government touches automatically becomes socialism. It's such a boogeyman. It's been going on for decades and centuries even. And, you know, it's, it's something like we just, we got to stop being afraid of them saying that because they're going to say that
1: no matter what they're going to well, say and,
0: about everything.
1: And look what we've seen during the recent administration. I mean, what we've seen is an illustration of how with terrible leadership, uh, even some of the most effective governmental institutions in the world can fail. I mean, the United States, uh, there's a huge article in the New Yorker this month about the failure of our COVID strategy. There was no country more well positioned to deal with COVID than the United States of America. Uh, We had the warning. We have a massive healthcare infrastructure. We have the best medical schools in the world. We have uh, the best scientific infrastructure in the world. And what the Republicans demonstrated as a party is their belief in their own crazy rhetoric, as you say, their contempt for government, led them to take all that they had and completely drop the ball and have the most failed response to COVID in the entire world. It's completely pathetic and it's completely disqualifying, really, of the modern Republican Party. You know, had Harry Truman been president or Barack Obama been president when uh, COVID struck, I imagine our deaths would have been reduced by a factor, uh, by tenfold, because they would have Uh, simply used the normal resources at their disposal to do everything they could to respond to this grave threat to the United States. It would be as if after the the Trump response to COVID would be like Franklin Roosevelt after Pearl Harbor was bombed, issuing a statement attacking Republicans for some sort of political grievance or nonsense. Or saying, look at
0: all these people that weren't
1: killed. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's so ridiculous. It's just I, I, so I, the thing but, that we go on and on. I, I,
0: you know, the thing that I always go back to is like, how many different ways do they need to tell us they don't actually believe in the government? Like, why would you put them in charge of something they don't believe in? This is a graphic we made. Nothing against atheists, but you wouldn't make one a pastor of your church. Why would <laughs> do we keep electing Republicans who don't believe in government? It makes no sense. And they're all guilty of it. They all rail against it. Even in this pandemic, they're saying we've learned the government doesn't do anything. Meanwhile, you know, they're taking the vaccine, they're cashing their stimulus check that's coming from the government. And we are one of the most federally dependent states in the entire country while we rail against the federal government. It's sort of like, you know, shaming or debt shaming your parents when they're still paying your rent. And, you know, it's gotta stop. Uh, the COVID response, just as a last thing that'll get you out of here, you know, I know that we've talked time and again about the testing. You know, you went to a testing site, you were early on admonishing Lee and the government about their response. It seems like we're going through the same thing with the vaccinate vaccinations. We've seen lines all over the place. We made national news in the New York Times for Tullahoma having elderly people standing in line for hours and then turning them away. What, have you, what are your thoughts on the well, way that Tennessee has responded to the
1: vaccinations? I mean, here's here's what my thoughts are, is that, uh, you know, our commissioner of health is incompetent, has consistently shown her incompetence and needs to be removed and replaced. Um, you know, this is 2021. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, we actually have computers and other means of very carefully Uh, allocating resources in our country, Uh, that, you know, you know, it's been 65 years since auto manufacturers lined up at warehouses to pick up parts. And the reason is because they use the technology we have to very carefully allocate resources so that they're available when needed and not before or after. So obviously, if the health department was doing its job, It could organize the distribution of vaccines in a way that would greatly reduce or eliminate lines and ensure that the people who needed the vaccine could get it immediately. And this idea that you basically hold essentially like an old fashioned auction to hand out vaccines, it's completely incompetent and ridiculous. And uh, I got to say, I just don't understand the Lee administration's approach to this entire process, because even Let's take politics aside. All right, there are certain issues in COVID that inexplicably have gotten caught up in politics, and that's a story more about how our country is having all these political problems. Um, you know, Governor Lee, as much as anybody, has been burdened by having the worst president in United States history uh, issuing pronouncements that are ridiculous. And and you know, obviously, uh, if you or I were governor, we would just ignore them and do what was right, but. You know, that's that's a political problem. Um, But but I don't even understand within the framework that Governor Lee has created, why his administration just consistently fails. Like, what's the explanation for taking six months to kind of rustle up contact tracers when it could have been done practically overnight? Because they, they seem to think
0: that ignoring the problem is leadership, that minimizing the problem is leadership. The way he used to say you know, the storm is passing. He said it every day for like, you know, a month and a half when this thing started. That's not leadership. Just wishing it away. And, you know, I I worry that it goes back to, and I have no problem with anybody of, you know, I, I go to temple, like believing in God, having faith, all of that. But I do think that when you... You know, there are times when people who whose entire worldview comes through faith, faithfulness, you know, that they, they use it as a crutch. And I don't think that that's actual faithfulness. I think using faith as a crutch and just, you know, hoping things go away, you know, faith without works is dead and, and you have to put in the work. We've, God has given us the tools also to fight this stuff and, and you have to use them. Just wishing it away is not the answer.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, I hope that's not the reason, but, you know, it's worth speculating. Uh, you know, I think the thing that's so concerning, I guess, is, you know, we live in a state with just almost unlimited resources. The leaders of virtually every country in the world would love to have the University of Tennessee and Vanderbilt University and the University of Memphis in their countries. You know, the leaders of virtually every country in the world would love to have Hospital Corporation of America headquartered in their country, because these are vast, hugely powerful resources that can be brought to bear. And what we're just not seeing, in my view, from the Lee administration is a recognition for the need for dynamic leadership to address this problem. And I I just like the lines, look, I'm not a healthcare executive. I'm not uh, a healthcare manager, but I think you don't need to be to understand that with proper accountability and proper planning, you could distribute the vaccines in a rational way that would prevent those lines. Everybody knows that. And so clearly there just wasn't, you know, the the resources, the time, the focus were just not present. And that's what we've seen. They just, over they just have ever. this
0: disconnect, like there's a disconnect right. between you know their attitude towards government and when government is needed like you know they spend all day long making laws you know they want the government to interfere with the things that they care about but then they also want to turn around and say government isn't the answer for anything when it comes to things that they don't care about and it's again it's just having people running something that they don't fundamentally believe in unless it fits their selfish needs and and that's just not governing. And so, you know, it's it's sad and we've seen it highlighted in the most essential time with this pandemic. The pandemic has really held up a mirror to our entire country, to our state and shown us, you know, all the inequities and the inefficiencies in our system and now it's up to us to decide to do something about it. And sadly, you know, I do think America in general has shown that it wants to do something about it, but I
1: think Tennessee still has a long way to go. I think that's right. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, I would still invite Governor Lee, you know, honestly, I'm ready to support the governor in any Reasonably well planned effort to address this crisis. I think that's what we should be doing in a time of crisis. Unfortunately, I just don't think it's an administration that's really looking for that support or really looking to take charge of the situation. You know, I hope we get back to a government in the United States where we have philosophical debates about the size of government. You know, I believe it is reasonable for people to argue. I think government should be smaller. I think we shouldn't provide this or that service. That's a normal political debate. Sure. But once the people have decided that, yes, we do actually want to have a public health infrastructure, or yes, we do want to provide health care for our citizens, then leaders of either party should, should recognize their duty to take charge of those resources that have been provided by the public and use them in a competent manner. You know, like for, I'll give you just an example. Like, I bet I might disagree with certain energy policies. Okay. I might disagree with the creation of certain pipelines. I might disagree with the damming of certain rivers. Um, But if I become an executive in charge of our state's resources, if I've been tasked with supervising those activities, my duty is to carry out those activities in the most efficient, effective way possible to serve the desires of the people of Tennessee. I just don't think that's what we're seeing here with our healthcare infrastructure. And it really, it's reminiscent of, for example, the Bush administration's response to Katrina. Um, You know, that was an example of of a response that shouldn't have been politically based or mired in politics, but we all we all were just appalled that an administration with all these resources wouldn't bring them to bear or couldn't bring them to bear competently to help the people of New Orleans, people of Houston, people of South Texas and South Louisiana. Um, here I think we're seeing the same thing with COVID where we have all these vast resources but for reasons that are actually kind of mysterious, I think go to your point about just the philosophy getting in the way of technical uh, prowess. Uh, You know, we just see all these resources essentially lying fallow while this virus sweeps across our state. And yes, many people can get it and not be injured, but you know, there are many people young and old across our state that are dying of this virus. And it is shocking the degree to which we are uh we are not treating this like the crisis that it is yeah
0: even with david Byrd lying somewhere breathing through a machine they're still not taking it seriously not requiring masks at your legislative session coming up and you know you well, talked about the will of the people they don't seem to care really what the will of the people is on a lot of things marsha blackburn hasn't had a town hall in four years you know they they There are issues like Medicaid expansion, like marijuana, that are very popular. They don't let ballot initiatives on the state ballot because they don't actually want to hear from the people. So, you know, I I appreciate What you're saying, I think, you know, it's important to have people fighting and and hopefully, you know, as as time goes on and the demographics change, we can see some more progress here in Tennessee. And I think things are leaning in the right direction. I want I get you out of here. I couldn't get you out of here without asking you just about one thing uh, that happened in Nashville in your city. White guy blew up an entire block last week and took a major city off the grid. And the news talked about it once like a special interest story. What's the latest with the Nashville bombing? And did you feel like maybe the coverage of it was tinted or
1: tainted by the fact that he was a white guy? Um, I have to say, when I looked at the coverage, it just seemed like straightforward coverage, uh, but maybe that's my perspective, right? Um, it's, a, it's a reasonable- I guess one. it's more about like, they didn't call it terrorism. It's a reasonable point to ask. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to substitute my judgment for kind of the law enforcement people. And I, and honestly, I've looked at that terrorism debate. I think it has to do with with you know technical issues. I will say this: um, we're still figuring out why that crazy guy did that. You know. Such a strange event, yeah, uh, but the political rhetoric we've seen, particularly from the right and on these crazy right wing websites, which which gets as close to inciting violence as you can get without uh, breaking a law. Yep. Um, has to be at uh, ground zero of any inquiry. As to why that happened you know because it's not like i mean we've seen a number of events like this remember the tragic event in las vegas where that crazy guy uh, shot all those people um you know there's a connection between that overheated rhetoric and and these events as far as the race the underlying race issue let's face it you know um that's the greatest stain on our country's history You know, every history book could have a whole section on African-Americans, which would be entirely different from the history of of non-African-Americans. You know, non-African-Americans did not have their children stolen from them uh, and sold at auction. Yeah. Uh, People who are not African-Americans have had opportunity jobs, the ability to own land. Meanwhile, African-Americans in the same states were basically held in continuous near slavery long after official slavery had ended. So what I'm getting at is, um, let's face it, news coverage, there's, there's enormous amount of work to be done, as we saw during this past summer, uh, to continue to heal the centuries-old wounds. And yes, I think often news coverage is biased, and and we all need to be extremely sensitive to the fact that we have not even come close to overcoming uh the injustices inherent in our history and uh and and we need to laud those politicians who bravely step forward to try to to mend those wounds
0: i think a big part of that discussion was also you know that he had been reported and that he had had been afforded the right to privacy even though he was reported to have been building a bomb in his RV when we have, you know, black citizens getting their door busted in, but I hear you. And I don't want to,
1: to I hadn't really, you're right. And I had a discussion with that with someone. Um, I have to say, I find it a little hard as a person who's a big civil libertarian to criticize the respect for people's rights. And I will say, you know, look, let's face it. Everything from retrospect can be easily judged. Okay? Sure. Um, the the answer or one one answer to all of that is that thankfully we're we're moving beyond the age of no-knock warrants, uh, which have led to countless deaths throughout the country. Are okay? they legal here? What's that? Illegal in Tennessee? They remain illegal in certain instances, but they should not be. Right. okay yeah, yeah you know, the weird. point is the point is I think we've seen in the balance, everybody has recognized um, that that sort of event should be an extraordinary event when you're facing an act of potential terrorism. I mean I think all citizens would agree had we known had there been more evidence that the guy was really building a bomb, okay, um, it would have been justified to go in and inspect his premises, okay didn't happen, should have, it's a tragedy that it didn't. Thank God, uh, you know, loss of life was minimized. Um, but, but the point, the point, the overall point being, um, yeah, you know, what, what should happen is the rights, civil rights of every single Tennessean should be respected. And hopefully we've, we won't be reading next week, the story about an African American family, uh, where they're even reduced, you know, where an African-American family is uh, uh, suffering from a no-knock warrant or an aggressive uh, violation of their civil rights. You know what I'm saying? The overall lesson is not, uh, let's focus on what it should be Do it more. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The I overall guess. lesson is, is people's property rights and their rights to privacy in their own homes should be generally inviolate. Uh, they should be respected. In the case of the bomber, obviously it looks like there should have been further investigation there, but we shouldn't allow that failure to lead to reducing people's rights. I we, will I will grant you that, I, but I yeah. will say that I do feel that
0: if the similar report had been made on a Muslim man, that door might have been busted in. So I will just, well, I, I, you don't have to say it, that, I can say that.
1: It's a, it's a fair <laughs> point. And I think, I think uh, bottom line is, Generally, in our country, we need to have fewer doors busted in. Gotcha. Uh, The other
0: thing I want to mention is you're actually more right than I think you even realize about the rhetoric. And, you know, it's come out that the bomber had sent writings about a belief in aliens and lizard people to a bunch of people. And I take on the burden of listening to Alex Jones because (laughs) I know Trump does. And so I want to hear what he says. And a lot of times Alex Jones will say something. And then two weeks later, or even a few days later, I hear Trump say it all along this whole thing about the election and stealing it and the signatures. Alex Jones has been saying this all the time. Steve Bannon too. But Alex Jones regularly talks about lizard people. Lizard people is an Alex Jones thing. He says it. If you you can look up his transcripts, he says it every week. So this thing that he said about lizard people, that's a very specific thing. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's a connection to Alex Jones. There may be other people out there saying it. But the lizard people thing is very Alex Jones. You can even find a picture of him wearing a lizard people head because he says it so much. So, you know, I do think that the rhetoric is dangerous and is getting people killed. And I think Alex Jones is a big part of it.
1: And listen, thank you, because you've given me a lot of time and I appreciate it. I'd like to say one more thing, because it goes back to what you're saying is. Alex Jones and what he's doing is terrible and it's undermining our country. Um, But it's it happens and it takes on its power because you have people like Senator Blackburn and Haggerty, Who are taking the mantle of their office and giving all these crazy claims credibility. And again, I think people need to step outside of our normal political debate. If you're conservative, I don't know if conservative people are watching Tennessee holler, perhaps they're doing oppo. Okay, they are. But, um, you know, I was on uh, Channel 5 last night talking about the same thing uh, with some conservatives, some liberals. This should not be a liberal or conservative issue. If a bunch of Democratic senators uh, try to overturn a presidential election that's legitimately Uh, won by a Republican, then they are violating their constitutional obligations, and they really are disqualifying themselves from serving. Barbara Boxer, I understand, and I remember this now, challenged the 2004 election. That was wrong. She was totally wrong to do it. I believe I said so at the time, Um, because it doesn't matter that your person doesn't get elected. You know, we don't, our political agenda it, we're not entitled as Americans or as political leaders to press our political agenda regardless of the people. It's completely antithetical to everything, every principle that our country. Is it also
0: to. wasn't married to an actual effort by the candidate to steal the election. So, well, no, no,
1: no, I agree. It's a totally different issue, but it should be said. Yeah, okay? sure. it's wrong for Democrats. It's wrong for Republicans. Democrats have never done this. There's never been any serious effort to overturn a presidential election. I'm not comparing them. Right. What I'm saying is if Democrats were doing this after a presidential election that elected a Republican, it would be just as bad. The bottom line is the people rule this country, the political leaders do not. And what Haggerty, what Senators Haggerty and Blackburn are doing. Is not normal bad politics. You know, they have bad policies they push all the time. I criticize them. That's politics. Okay, this is different. This is essentially sanctioning a coup in the United States. That's something that crazy wackos on the internet may want to do. It is not something that sitting senators should ever be involved in. What they are doing is just the most outrageous act of political irresponsibility that I think I've ever witnessed, at least from a senator, and um, they they can't be condemned too much for what they're doing, and they know what they're doing is wrong. I would also say thank you to Senator Corker for speaking out and saying this is ridiculous and wrong, and... uh, we have a number of Republicans speaking out, and it's really important that people of both parties speak out against this. And it's and, – and anyway, it, those it's – It to
0: say then that you disagree with Rep. Jeremy Faison, who says, it's called politics, people. Quit acting as if the tables were turned. You would be any different. You are not morally superior.
1: Yeah, he's totally wrong. Representative Faison is completely wrong. It's not politics. That's the point. Politics has already occurred, and regardless of the desires of some Americans, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won the election, okay? And so uh, they are entitled to rule. It is not regular politics. It's a complete departure from regular politics. And um, and every American should condemn this. And I'm glad to see that some brave Republicans have stepped forward, broken with the, the more crazy, uh, uh, groups in their party and said what we all know to be true. It, it's a dangerous, dangerous uh, endeavor that Senators Blackburn and Haggerty are engaged in. It really demonstrates that they're not the right people for the, for the offices that they hold, uh, and um, hopefully the next elections in each case will take care of that. But uh, they should be ashamed of themselves. It's totally outrageous behavior on their part. Um, it is what they are doing is providing a lesson in terrible government to every school child in the state of Tennessee every citizen in the state of Tennessee and everybody who cares about the constitution should oppose them again look i serve in a legislature dominated by republicans oftentimes i don't get what i want i criticize them but i never suggest that uh, representative lambert Representative Sexton do not have the right to their offices simply because I disagree with them. If I don't like them leading the legislature, then I need to get more people to vote Democratic and vote in Democrats. But until that day occurs, the elected officials that are there have the right to exercise their power in a legitimate constitutional way. And I would never go on TV and say, Cameron Sexton uh, is his election should be overturned unless there was some true evidence of, you know, some nefarious fraud as established in a court of law by the appropriate procedures. So what they're doing is completely irresponsible. It's a complete departure from the American way. It it can't be emphasized enough. And I say that only because we have a lot of debate in politics. This is not a normal debate. We are not here debating whether we should have expanded health care or not expanded health care. That's what politicians do. This is an instance in which some irresponsible politicians have completely abdicated their role as political leaders and protectors of our long-standing democratic traditions. It's just totally outrageous. They should be completely ashamed of themselves. And it calls into question whether there's any act that either of these senators would not take in order to preserve their own political advantage. It really calls into question whether you know, it calls into question ultimately their personal integrity as political actors uh, because they're just to, to think that they would undermine a presidential election for no other reason just to pander to their base. I mean, it's appalling. Anyway, I just say that because we have a lot of hot rhetoric in our society today. This is a different game that they're playing. It is it is an, a terrible precedent they're setting and um, you just can't be condemned in strong enough terms.
0: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for doing this. And uh, good good luck in the legislature or the the session coming up next week. We'll be watching.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.
0: So that's Mike Stewart. Uh, I see that there's still a bunch of you here. Appreciate you guys watching with us. You know, Mike always speaks his mind, which I appreciate. And so I wanted to have him on here to talk about his letter. He's completely right about what these Republicans are doing. It's an absolute joke. It's gross. It's not normal politics. They are you know, making a political calculation, and it's one that we should not soon forget. Uh, but in good news, we do have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to look forward to, a powerless Mitch McConnell. That will be a lot of fun. And as John Favreau says, in just four years, Trump cost the Republican Party the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And Lindsey Graham knew it. He... Four years ago, said if we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed and we will deserve it. And this is them getting destroyed. So, thank you guys for watching. We'll be back tomorrow for our holler hour. And, you know, I appreciate you guys doing this. I appreciate all the support. Subscribe and support if you can. And we will see you soon.